0: Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the New Energy Experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today we're looking at hydrogen. Interest and activity in hydrogen is gathering pace fast, and whatever your views on hydrogen we're going to see a lot of green hydrogen in the next years and decades. And to see that, we're going to need a lot of electrolyzers to produce this hydrogen. Today, I'm talking with Graham Cooley, CEO at ITM Power, one of the world's leading manufacturers of electrolyzers, together with our in-house hydrogen expert here at Delta EE, Rob Bloom. Let's say hello. First, Graham, hello and welcome to the podcast. Good morning, John,
1: and uh, thanks very much for having me.
0: Uh, graham you've been ceo at itm power for 13 years now uh i don't know if that's a flown by or feels like a lifetime um i suspect for many of those years you had to tell people who itm power was and what you did now many more people will know you now but for the people that don't can you give a brief introduction to itm power
1: sure so um itm is an electrolyzer manufacturer we we manufacture PEM electrolysis equipment, and, and we do that from our uh, gigafactory in Sheffield, Bessemer Park. So we have a manufacturing capacity of one gigawatt per annum. Uh, but our uh, emphasis is on scaling the manufacturing of PEM electrolysis equipment.
0: And you're you're selling the electrolysers all over Europe, all over the world. Any particular geographies or markets?
1: Yeah, so we, we currently have a backlog of um, uh, over 700 megawatts of equipment, um, and um, we sell that all over the world. We work uh, very closely with Lynda Engineering, who are our EPC partner. So, Lynda look at scaling the deployment, and we look at scaling uh, the manufacturing of the modules. So, it, uh, we are have a global footprint by virtue of the fact that we have a joint venture with Linda Engineering called ITM Linda Electrolysis. And of course, Linda have 30% uh, market share of uh, industrial gray hydrogen.
0: Right, so you, you make them and Linda will install it and design it and do the engineering around that to provide the installation to the customer around the world.
1: Absolutely, that's yeah. that's correct. And and uh, we've worked with Linda now uh, for about two and a half years on uh, large scale deployment. And our emphasis is on using green hydrogen to replace grey industrial hydrogen, which by its nature uh, are very large electrolyzers. So we're looking at yeah. electrolysis equipment from twenty hundred megawatts that that sort of size range.
0: OK, and can you give our listeners a feel for how quickly you're growing and there might be different metrics you want to use, headcount, order, book, fundraising? I don't know what's, what's the best best thing to describe it, your growth.
1: Yeah, well, uh, why don't we try all of those things? Here? So, um, you know, uh, when I started, uh, there were about 30 people in the company and, and soon we expanded to 60. Um In 2020, moving to 2021, we increased from 200 uh, up to over 300 staff, Mm -hmm. and and we're now at 400. So a a very uh, uh, rapid increase in the acquisition of skills over the last two years. We we moved from an order book, uh, which was extremely low in the single digits of megawatts, uh, to a backlog uh, of 755 megawatts, which was announced very uh, recently. And manufacturing capacity, we moved from 100 megawatts uh, over the last two years to one gigawatt in size. Yeah. So, uh, and every year we deploy uh, an electrolyzer that goes up in scale by an order of magnitude. So if you go back six years ago, 100 kilowatts, then uh, two years later, a megawatt, then two years after that, 10 megawatts. And now we're looking at deploying 100 megawatts at the Rhineland refinery with Shell. So it's, it's rapid growth, particularly over the last couple of years.
0: So you definitely don't know the names of all your colleagues at ITM Power anymore, Graham?
1: Yeah, it's very interesting that actually, from a from a kind of a cultural point of view. But um, I used to know everyone and the names of all of their kids and how old they were <laughs> and, and I'm not in that position right now. No. But uh, we have a fantastic team of incredibly enthusiastic people at my team. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, thanks very much, Groan. Let's say hello to our sec- come back shortly. But say hello to our second guest, Rob Bloom. Hello, Rob. Good morning, both. Lovely to join you both this morning. Um, Rob, can you contextualise for our listeners a bit the the scale of the green hydrogen sector today? Graham's talked about ITM power, but if you look at the overall sector, uh, can you give us some context, either in megawatts, gigawatts, or comparisons to how much grey hydrogen there is being produced every year in the world?
2: Yeah, I I think it's a really good place to start, actually, because I think it highlights uh, and builds on what Graham was saying there about the rate of change we're seeing. So if you were to look at the EU and UK hydrogen markets as they exist today, it's basically all grey hydrogen. So high carbon hydrogen derived from methane. Um, If you look at the UK and EU, it's around 10 million tonnes a year, somewhere in that kind of ballpark. Yeah. So if you were to convert all of this to electrolysis and those electrolysers were working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you'd need somewhere in the region of 50 to 60 gigawatts of electrolysers to replace that current demand. If you look at where green hydrogen is today, though, you know, we're really still in the low hundreds of megawatts in terms of um, electrolyzers being used specifically for sort of decarbonisation, parking kind of uh, slightly niche uh, industrial uses like chloralkali today. So we're, we're talking orders of magnitude from where we are today to where we need to be to replace fossil hydrogen.
0: So there's a lot to do to replace that fossil hydrogen as well as producing new hydrogen, for want of a better word, that might soak up excess wind power and then do either use that for industrial purposes or put that back into power into the gas grid or whatever. So, yeah, a huge challenge just to replace that grey hydrogen.
2: Yeah, I mean, huge challenge just for that grey hydrogen. And then, yeah, like you said, you've got things like, you know, Sectors like steel, um, aviation, shipping, long range heavy goods vehicles, trains, you know, there's a huge amount of new applications. But like Graham said earlier, I think for me in the industry, maybe it's interesting to get your thoughts here, Graham, you know, the emphasis should really be on re- getting rid of that grey hydrogen we're using today first as kind of a key, key sort of demand sector.
1: Yeah, I, um, uh, Rob, I absolutely agree with that, um, and and that is uh, the market that we're directed to initially. So I agree with your numbers as well. Uh, look, the, the world uses seventy million tons, uh, and and the EU has now called uh, by twenty thirty. So in the next eight years, to have uh, twenty million tons. Uh, produced in the EU. This was announced in the Repower EU uh, um, energy security package. So that 20 million uh, tonnes is is somewhere around 150 uh, to 200 gigawatts of electrolysis equipment. Um, And um, yeah, the entry market, as you say, is replacing grey hydrogen, which is made using natural gas, which is used for two main areas. Uh, one is refining, and the other is the production of ammonia. And we've seen a massive increase in the cost of um, natural gas in Europe, and that has had a direct impact uh, on the cost of ammonia because of uh, 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 it, the increase in the cost of um, uh, of industrial hydrogen. And and ammonia, as as I'm sure uh, you all know, is an incredibly important commodity because it, it's um, uh, the derivation of all fertilisers. Mm. Uh, fixing nitrogen from the air, using uh, industrial hydrogen makes ammonia, and from that you get urea, uh, UAN and ammonium nitrate. And actually when when you look at the increase in the cost of natural gas, it's not only an energy crisis, but it's a food crisis for that reason.
0: Graham, how- I'm interested in picking that a bit more because um, the the ammonia industry, the the refinery sector, has been used to using grey hydrogen for a long time. So you, Linda, whoever comes along with with electrolyzers and says, "Hey, we can do this with green hydrogen." Now, so far, I may be generalizing a bit here. There's been pilots and demonstrations in the with green hydrogen. How quickly do you think the market will move, or what will it take to move that market from grey to green? And one of those things will be natural gas prices, but will that alone do it, or how hard is that market going to be to shift?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. <clears throat> so, John, uh, we have had an increase in the um, in the gas price. I mean, if you look at in the UK. Uh, today, you, you're seeing gas prices uh, that are over 200 pence per therm, in a market where uh, uh, gas prices have been stable for years at around 30 pence a yeah. therm. So you're looking at a very uh, significant um, increase. So that's a key driving force. Another driving force is uh, the volatility of the price of natural gas because it's shooting up and down right now. And actually, it's very difficult to plan a business with a, a high volatility feedstock. And you have renewable power that's come down in price. And if you connect an electrolyzer using a power purchase agreement to a renewable power, you get zero volatility, mm. as well as having price parity, as well as having energy security, as well as having energy storage for your renewable power. And, and also you get net zero, avoiding a carbon price so all the arrows are in the right direction for hydrogen but your question is what does adoption take is it yep. just about those things or is it about something else and there needs to be an investable business model with a positive rate of return that there is investable bankable projects and bankable projects require long uh, uh, duration policy, and they require an incentive. So look, why do they require an incentive if we've got to cost parity?
0: That was what I was going to say, you know, with all those arrows pointing in the right direction that you talked about. How much of an, you know, is there still a big gap that an incentive needs to fill or is that gap a time limited gap while you scale up and bring the cost down?
1: So this is exactly my point, John. Uh, how do you design an incentive for green hydrogen when it's actually in the money? Mm-hmm. And 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 this is the question: here. It's only in the money right now because of the price of natural gas and the price of renewable power. Um, will it? Will that be the case in the medium term? And and is the current uh natural gas price an investable proposition or is there risk in it changing? Okay, and, and so this is this is
0: the thing that needs to be squared. So it might not be bankable because you're basically taking a bet on the future natural gas price. Correct. Yeah. Rob, how do how do you see that when you're looking at uh, projects and talking with people in the market about whether it's refineries or, or other sectors, that how close is hydrogen to to being a a market rather than a pilot and demo, a commercial market rather than a pilot and demonstration market.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a really good question, John. I mean, if you were to look at kind of the activity today, uh, as as far as I know, kind of the, the one of the biggest electrolyzers working in Europe today, specifically for green hydrogen decarbonisation, is kind of the first phase of that refinery project that you've got uh, refine, as far as I'm aware, Graham, at about ten megawatts. Um, now, another of ITM's projects, this is a coincidence, I haven't just listed all of <laughs> ITM's uh, uh, other manufacturers available, yeah, exactly, um, is the 24 megawatt electrolyzer at the Leuner chemical plant uh, near Leipzig in Germany as well. So we're talking relatively small, especially when you think of, you know, a current grey hydrogen plant today is putting out roughly 150,000 tonnes of hydrogen a year. Those green hydrogen plants, the electrolyzers, 24 megawatts, if it's running at full capacity, full scale, is about 4000 tonnes a year. So we're still a couple of orders of magnitude out. And I think what Graham is saying here, you know, he's basically ticked all the points I had written down in my notes that I made for today. Um, is that case of, I think, what the market is really crying out for is a long-term incentive that can help de-risk some of these larger projects in the hundreds of megawatts, you know, easing up to those those larger amounts. Um, and we're starting to see that, you know, in the UK, we've got the low carbon hydrogen business model, which is essentially a contracts for difference on hydrogen production. Um, the Netherlands has had a scheme called the SDE++, plus, which has kind of um, tried to incentivize running electrolysis as well. Um, but I think Graham makes a really great point. You know, if if natural gas prices stay this high, maybe those things aren't required. It's just a very big if. Hmm. Um, so I think. We're in a difficult part now, you know, some people call it, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but technology development, you you reach a trough of a, a difficulty in scaling up. You can attract money to do the pilots in the demos and we know it's going to make sense in sort of five or ten years. But we're stuck in that point where you need a bit of a push to really get these things scaled up. So, yeah, we're in a tricky position, a tricky position, I think, at the
1: moment. So, um. July, August, we we will see the publication of the um, hydrogen business model from the UK government. Uh, we, we will see uh, a set of schemes coming forwards uh, and funding. Uh, they won't. This incentive won't be specific. So you will not see a pounds per kilogram incentive. What will you you will have is an opportunity to bid into a CFD scheme. And at that point, it is those companies who are going to buy electrolysis equipment that will assess the risks and ask for a specific incentive, a green hydrogen CFD. Um, And that will be the first full hydrogen business model that is published. And and, um, uh, at that point, Customers of electrolysis equipment, those who want to generate green hydrogen, um, will make project-specific applications for a contract for difference between the price of natural gas and green hydrogen.
0: And And, they're they're getting a hedge, Graham, on that, on the volatility of natural gas in the future, or they're, they're eliminating that risk around that. Uncertainty of the natural gas price that you mentioned earlier.
1: That's exactly right, and 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 um, some big schemes then will come forwards in the UK, and and I'm um, I'm delighted to see that. So so that's the first thing. Second thing is that um, the the um, other use of hydrogen, uh, which is the use in transport, um, the RTFO, that's the Renewable Transport Fuels uh, Obligation, and and the certificates associated with that. You will have an option of either bidding your green hydrogen into the uh, hydrogen business model or into the rtfo scheme uh, so I, I think what we will see uh, actually is some leadership uh, from the uk government emerging july august and and that will be very welcome
0: and is that is that global leadership graham or what other countries would you highlight that are a similar level to what the UK is talking about? So, in
1: Europe, we had a target in 2020 of 80 gigawatts of electrolysis equipment by 2030. So, that's in the next eight years. Uh, 40 gigawatts um, deployed in Europe and 40 gigawatts of imported green hydrogen. Mm-hmm. Repower EU uh, now ups that to 200 gigawatts. I make a simple observation here, John, which is that uh, w- we we haven't even begun to deploy the electrolyzers to meet the 2020 target, and it's yeah. two years old. Uh, what's w- w- what is needed to get to FID, final investment decision? The the whole of Europe needs FIDs for green hydrogen projects. And the reason we don't haven't had them is that the um, important projects of common interest, which is where all the big companies have lined up to deploy green hydrogen, those haven't been uh, uh, gone through the process of being agreed. So policy is now holding
0: up industry, not
1: the other way around.
0: And Graham, how how hard is it for you to scale ITM while you're waiting or influencing or lobbying for those policies? So the market's developing at a certain rate. You're growing at a certain rate. You talked about your order book earlier. How difficult is it to keep the investment flowing into your growth and have the confidence that the market will come and develop at the right pace Is that challenging or or is that manageable? So I I think
1: it's very manageable now because in October we raised 250 million Mm -hmm. uh, with a plan to get to five gigawatts per annum of manufacturing capacity by the end of 2024. Okay, now we already had uh, resources of of over 100 million, so we've got uh, about 380 million of Uh, cash resources on our balance sheet to take us through Uh, we clearly need demand and we need FIDs for the projects that we have been working on but we have a backlog which keeps us busy and we are ready to expand as those FIDs
0: come through so you've got a pretty good runway then to keep you going until until they come through um OK, we're getting to that time in the podcast now where we bring out the talking new energy crystal ball, and I'd like each of you to to paint a picture of the green hydrogen sector in 2030 in Europe, which we've done a bit already, but maybe add a bit of colour to, to numbers that have been uh, that we've talked about. But more importantly, the biggest challenge and let's say other than policy because we've talked about policy, so the biggest challenge in terms of reaching that 2030 vision. So Graham, do you want to go first in terms of that vision and the biggest challenge other than policy?
1: So, um, you you know, the IEA report says the world needs uh, 3,500 gigawatts of electrolysis in the next 28 years to get to net zero get to net zero by 2050. It's a massive amount of electrolysis equipment. I think uh, uh, from 2022 to 2030, 2030, so the next eight years, is going to define that journey. And I think that there'll be only a few electrolyzer manufacturers with the resources and the capacity to achieve that. And I'm absolutely sure that ITM Power uh, uh, will be one of them. We will um, see. We will see gigawatt scale projects in 2030 on a regular basis. You need a gigawatt of electrolysis to decarbonise a refinery or an ammonia production. So we in by 2030 they will be standard electrolyser uh, uh, projects. I also think that by 2030, we will have deployed a very, very significant amount of renewable power and what will be a key role of green hydrogen, not only decarbonising hydrogen for industry, but also for energy storage. Because without green hydrogen, in 2030, you will see very significant amounts of uh, renewables curtailment.
0: Yeah, well, I think analysis by our company we're now part of, LCP, shows that in the UK, uh, renewables will be curtailed for over half of the year by by 2030. Um, so we definitely need storage of which hydrogen can be a part. Will we still be working through the refineries in Europe, Graham, or will we have moved beyond the refineries, or will we see parallel in parallel other sectors developing with refineries by 2030? So uh, renewable. Energy directive says that we that
1: all refineries need to make fourteen percent of their products renewably by twenty thirty. Fourteen percent is is again a lot of electrolysis. I mean, you you are talking about uh, uh, around a hundred gigawatts uh, just for that, and ammonia production as well will be absolutely key. I I can my view is that. Uh, Energy, uh, uh, clearly uh, trying to achieve the net zero targets will be significant, but food security is going to be a massive issue in 2030. Uh, So uh, um, ammonia begets higher and higher on the
0: agenda as we approach 2030. And briefly, biggest challenge apart from policy?
1: Well, uh, challenge is uh, responding to the demand. Right, keeping uh, up. Manufacturing capacity and responding to the demand.
0: Yeah. And is that a function of raising? Is that a function of just of time and money? It, it,
1: it's a function of uh, um, a, a number of different things. Backing from the city uh, yeah. about yeah. Uh, you. You have to be the world leading ele- electrolyzer module. It's, cost performance lifetime all of those things as well it's technology driven and it's cost driven uh i mean it, 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 uh, the technology is modular and and because it's modular it's scalable yep. Uh, yep. in terms of manufacture and also scalable in terms of deployment because we work with the world leader in deploying hydrogen assets so i feel very confident that we can rise to the challenge
0: okay that's great Rob, 2030 vision uh, and challenges apart from policy. You've got yeah. the challenge now of adding to what Graham said as well. I know, right? Going second is always the more <laughs> difficult
2: one, isn't it? Um, I think for me, what uh, one thing that's never really talked about when you talk about fossil hydrogen is byproduct hydrogen. So there's a huge amount of hydrogen that is produced as a result of um, processes in refineries. So, I'm not going to go and say we shouldn't be using fossil hydrogen at all in 2030, because a lot of these processes are very well integrated, but I'd like to see the on-purpose, so a grey hydrogen plant being used expressly for hydrogen production, I'd love that to be a thing of the past by 2030. That's, I think, what we should all be trying to do. Mm. Whether it happens, I think it depends on all that regulation, so I won't, I won't get too much into that, but that's what I'd love to see the the on-purpose grey hydrogen plant a thing of the past.
0: And challenge for that apart from policy?
2: I think for me one of the biggest ones is going to be developing hydrogen pipeline infrastructure. I think it's a it's an absolutely key asset in the hydrogen value chain in terms of connecting supply and demand and doing that in the most financially efficient way possible. But we've got a huge way to go on that in terms of connecting those supply and demand areas and thinking about how regulated assets like that might work.
0: So is that's Rob thinking about industrial clusters, because in some ways, if it's at a refinery and you're producing it at the refinery, you don't need the pipeline. But is it the pipelines when you've got a cluster and you've got a grouping of refineries or ammonia plant refinery or other industry that can use the hydrogen?
2: I think it's a case of, of connecting where you can produce the hydrogen with where you can use it. So a very UK centred example is lots of wind power in Scotland, but lots of demand down in England. Similar thing in Germany, lots of wind power in the north of Germany, lots of demand in the south of Germany what's the best way to get it there you know is it using the electricity system or is it using pipelines pipelines tend to be cheaper so for me that's that's really the the cause is where can you produce it most cheaply and how can you get it to where it needs to be yeah and for me that's
0: pipelines okay another new challenge (laughs) um time's getting the better of us so we better leave the discussion there but it's clearly um i think a lot of people in the energy sector have Hydrogen is a relatively new topic and the, uh, there's lots of talk about hydrogen in lots of different sectors, but the discussion today, we have focused very much on refineries and ammonia production and the huge amount of work needed to displace that grey hydrogen that's being used there. Uh, and without that, we can all think of exciting new hu- uses of hydrogen, which I'm sure will come, but we've got to get rid of that grey hydrogen, at refineries and ammonia plants first. Graeme, thank you so much for joining and sharing your thoughts.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you. Uh, One last point from me would be this. Uh, We've talked about an energy transition. Uh, Actually, it's an industrial revolution as well. And and someone somewhere is going to manufacture trillions of pounds worth of equipment to, to make that energy transition. And actually, we should be making that equipment in the UK. So let's think of it as an industrial transition as well as an energy one.
0: OK, and our, our listeners in different countries, Graham, will be backing their, <laughs> their own industry. But as you said, there's space in the market for at least a few to scale to, to really uh, make the impact that we need. Um, Rob, thanks for joining again.
2: Yeah, thank, thanks for having me again. It's always lovely to be on the podcast, John.
0: And as always, thanks to everyone for listening and we'll look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.